traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell. I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Kidding, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! Can the Leafs atone? That's the big question. That was a disaster last night. An embarrassment. The Leafs losing 7-3 to Tampa in game one, round one of the playoffs. They were down 6-2, I think, after two periods. I saw a lot of empty seats at the Scotiabank Arena after the second period. I haven't seen that before. And uh, the Leafs were booed off the ice after the game. <laughs> when was the last time that happened? They, um, The Leafs looked awfully nervous right from the start. They showed a little bit of life in the second period, but the Lightning quickly put an end to uh, any momentum the Leafs had. It was, as I say, embarrassing. But, but, here's the... Uh, the good news, the Leafs beat the Bolts 5 to nothing in Game 1, Round 1 last year. And we know how that turned out. So, hopefully the Leafs will bounce back on Thursday in Game 2. Otherwise, it looks like the Leafs will be starting their summer vacation early, as is their custom every year since 2004. Uh, speaking of vacations, socks. 
is in hot water again over his lavish vacations. Trudeau was on the defensive in the House of Commons yesterday over costs associated with and the location of his family's Christmas vacation in Jamaica last year with um, opposition party leaders questioning his judgment and demanding more information about the trip. So back uh, last last Christmas, the PMO announced at that time Trudeau would be taking the week-long winter holiday. Uh, but they didn't release where he'd be staying. So yesterday it, it was reported that the trip was spent at a luxurious estate belonging to a family who uh, two years ago donated to the recently troubled Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. This prime minister wants us to believe that these Trudeau Foundation donors offered him a $9,000 a night vacation for nothing. We know nothing is free, Mr. Speaker. This is about influence and the power for the super rich. So why won't he answer? How much did he pay an accommodation per night at this luxurious villa? This was uh, conservative leader Pierre Polyev in the House of Commons yesterday. So in response, Trudeau noted that, quote, all the rules were followed as the uh, trip was pre-cleared with the Federal Ethics Commissioner. And he said that the uh, the place he stayed belonged to a family and that his family has been close with them for 50 years. He said the leader of the opposition struggles with the concept of friendship. My father was godfather to one of their kids. Their father was godfather to one of my brothers, Trudeau said. If the leader of the opposition wants to talk about friendships... Let's talk about the fact that he's running to his American billionaire tech giant friends to attack the local news that Canadians are relying on. Well, that's that's a reference, of course, to Polyev and his endorsement of Twitter's uh, Elon Musk slapping a government-funded media label on the CBC, their uh, main Twitter account. However, Elon Musk is a Canadian citizen. Need we remind the trust fund brat? And uh, I guess the other part that we I would quibble with is that uh, very few Canadians that I know of are running to the CPC to rely on them for their news. I mean, I don't know if there's an ethics violation here with Trudeau accepting yet another gift from a Trudeau Foundation donor. I mean, it all it most it almost doesn't matter at this point. What's more important to me is that Socks clearly isn't very bright. He lacks the basic smarts to understand. The optics, how bad this looks at a time when many, many, many Canadians are really struggling with bills. Many are a couple of paychecks away from living on the street or they're relying on food banks or they decide, can we afford hamburger this week? They can't even dream of taking a winter vacation in the Caribbean. And he jets off to a lavish villa, which would cost $9,000 per night. And then let's not forget in September, he helped himself to a $6,000 a night luxury suite in London, England, where he was attending the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. And of course, you'll recall the PMO did everything they could to hide that from the public. They wouldn't release the name of the person who stayed in that suite. So he's just an embarrassment. And so totally lacking in self-awareness. I mean, he's either even dumber than I thought, or he just doesn't care. 
He just doesn't care. Despite all of his talk, oh, we have Canadians' backs. No, he doesn't. So whether he's just truly this dim or he's just truly this uncaring, either way, he's not equipped to be the leader or uh, of the local Parent Teachers Association, let alone Prime Minister of a G7 country. According to uh, documents tabled in the House of Commons detailing the expenses related to Trudeau, the trip came with an approximate price tag of $162,000. $115,000 of that was for security. And I don't begrudge the Prime Minister of Canada taking on a holiday, nor, of course, would, would I begrudge the Prime Minister being protected the cost is the cost, but the optics staying in a nine thousand dollar a night suite. He's got a perfectly nice vacation home. The uh, what is the uh, the summer home in Quebec? Anyway, it's beautiful, beautiful cottage. So if Trudeau is dumb. Dr. Teresa Tam must be dumber. Dumb and dumber. I don't know if she won her medical license in a raffle. I mean, how how could someone this inept and vacuous become a medical doctor? Of course, she's currently the chief public health officer of Canada and presided over the monumentally disastrous government response to the COVID pandemic. And now she wants us to believe that climate change, colonialism, and capitalism are drivers of negative health. It's a a report that she signed off on called What We Heard, Perspectives on Climate Change and Public Health Canada. And the government suggests that these issues must be addressed in order to improve public health. And this report is based on 21 one-on-one interviews with key public health experts across Canada with the aim of understanding the health impacts of climate change on Canadians. We heard that there is a central role for public health systems in climate change adaptation, writes the report. We also heard that there is an urgent need to strengthen public health systems' strategies to actively engage in decolonizing action and embrace other systems of knowledge regarding human well-being and planetary health. Who writes this drivel? Who are these 21 nitwits? Why would we listen to them? Capitalism is responsible for improving health. Fossil fuels make it possible for people to thrive on this planet. You complete an utter spoon. How can anyone take this crazy person seriously? How do you, how do people like Teresa Tam manage to fend for themselves or operate a motor vehicle, let alone hold down a steady job is beyond me. She is 100% certifiable bat crap crazy. All right. Coming up on the show today, this day in rock history with uh, Jeremiah Tittle. He'll be here last order of business in hour two, and we'll talk about Deborah Harry. Do you remember Blondie? Blondie. They had a, a huge hit on this day back in 1980, 
Uh, plus, also on this date in rock and roll history, Simon and Garfunkel launched the European leg of their reunion tour. Again, on this date in 1982. In our feature interview today, Dr. Rainier Ziedelman is the author of In Defense of Capitalism, and he'll respond to the idiot Dr. Tam's ridiculous and childish report on capitalism driving negative health. This hour, Tony Heller pushes back against the death cult of climate change. We'll talk about Germany closing the last of its remaining nuclear energy plants this week. But up first, up to 155,000 federal employees, everyone from janitors to Canada Revenue Agency employees are on strike effective today. So if you're waiting for a tax refund or if you're trying to get a passport, you may be negatively impacted. Christopher Oldcorn from the Western Standard is next. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. Back to Nonverba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. I think we need to get our uh, good colleague, friends, Paul and Jason Kenny. Uh, Paul Kenny. <laughs> Is it Jason Kenny, his brother, the premier of Alberta, former? No. Anyway, we need to get Paul Kenny up to Ottawa and downsize the federal government. That's what we need to do. Ah, uh, well, the um, public service. Uh, Union of Canada, PSAC. They are uh, Public Service Alliance of Canada. Officially on strike, 155,000 federal employees demanding up to 47% increase. And according to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, that's going to cost taxpayers $9.3 billion. And they're urging, I guess it would be the Treasury Board. That's the main... um, employer for the core public administration they're they're uh the, the canadian taxpayers federation is urging the treasury board to take a hard line against PSAC. christopher oldcorn is with the western standard and he joins us now hey chris how are you i'm doing well how are you good 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 now i know that uh alberta's marxist leninist leader rachel notley won't speak to you but i will <laughs> uh yeah that's kind of interesting it's a badge of honor, my friend. It's a badge of I, honor. I think it is. Yes, I think we should wear that. Wear that one with pride. <laughs> um, if you wear it with pride, she'll love you. Oh, probably. <laughs> so, um, one hundred fifty-five thousand federal federal employees. We had you on a couple of days ago when when uh, it looked like they were going to go out on strike, and you called it correctly. You said, "Yep, they're going to walk." Have they have they backed away at all uh, from the forty-seven percent that they're demanding? Um, sort of. Uh, they have, according to the CRA, uh, they have gone to the table. Uh, the CRA went as high as a 9% wage increase uh, over the next three years, um, which was the recommendation uh, from the mediator. Uh, PSAC uh, came back and they want 22.5% over three years and also a market adjustment of 2%. So it actually is a little bit higher than 22.5%. So they are, they've come down from 47%. That's kind of nice, I guess, but they're still a far way apart in terms of uh, what the CRA is presently offering for that part of the contract uh, and what the union wants to take. Um, And you mentioned this the other day as well. Currently they get time and a half for overtime. Uh, They want 
they want double time, right? Yes. Plus an extra $2 and 50 cents. If they have to work between 4 PM and 8 AM on top of double time. Right. So it goes from time and a half to actually over double time. If it's after four. And uh, they've also made some demands vis-a-vis um, uh, paid leave for family-related responsibilities. Um, what am I reading here? They want 75 hours per year. That's paid leave for family-related responsibilities. So what would that be? What would that entail? Uh, let's say your kid's sick. You can uh, stay home and still get paid. Uh, presently, they get 37 hours, which is basically a work week. Uh, and they want that double to 75 so that they can take two weeks off a year uh, related to family responsibilities. However, they don't really define family responsibilities. So a family responsibility could be, I'm not going to work this next week because I have a family responsibility to go with my family on vacation to Florida. That's right. So, so essentially it's, it's another a, two it's, weeks paid vacation. It's essentially two weeks of paid vacation on top of their existing vacation. And also part of, uh, speaking of uh, vacation time, uh, they get an automatic four weeks of vacation presently uh, after seven years. Uh, they want that shortened to only four, which means after four years, you would have four weeks of vacation and two weeks of family responsibilities for six weeks in total after you've worked there for four years. All instead right. Instead of seven. Uh, you quoted in your article, the Western Standard, this um uh, study by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and they're urging the Treasury Board, which is the main employer, I guess, of the core group. And it's kind of complicated because there are different bargaining groups here. As you mentioned, there's an education and library science group. There's a program and administrative services group. There's the CRA um, group and so forth. But the Treasury Board is the main group. Uh, And the Taxpayers Federation is, is urging the Treasury Board to hold the line, stay firm, because these demands, when you add them all up, are going to cost taxpayers an extra $9.3 billion. Um, Now, I guess that would have to be adjusted if, you know, since the uh, PSAC has has reduced their demands somewhat. But we're still I don't know. um, We're still talking what, maybe seven billion, eight billion dollars. Yeah, you're probably in that neighborhood. Yeah. But but because uh, part of that nine point three billion, you don't actually know how much extra overtime someone's going to work and things like that. So. Even the $9.3 billion calculation is only approximate of what sort of the minimum cost would have been based on their original demands. And they really haven't adjusted their original demands much at all, um, because when you add in an extra week of paid leave, like family leave, um, that's like paying someone for another whole week of work right now that they're not presently getting paid for. They would have to take those. If they wanted a second week off of for family responsibilities right now they wouldn't be compensated for that. So it depends on how many people will take the family leave and use all two weeks every year. There's, there's just so many balls in the air here that it could still be theoretically speaking, still in the, in the neighborhood of 8 billion, eight and a half billion, uh, even with the reduction in the uh, crazy wages that they want. Christopher Corn so. is with the Western standard and the Saskatchewan standard will, um, Come back in a few minutes and continue to discuss this massive PSAC strike, which uh, began today. The Richard Serrett Show right here on Saga 960 continues in three minutes. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Welcome back. 
the Public Service Alliance Canada Union, which uh, represents up to 155,000 federal employees. This is everything from janitors to education and libraries, science staff, operational services, technical services, Canada Revenue Agency employees. Uh, they have hit the, um, the picket lines as of today, and uh, their demands uh, would cost taxpayers around $9.3 billion dollars. This according to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and our good buddy Franco Terrazano, who is urging the Treasury Board, which is the, the employer of the main core um, uh, group of PSA uh, or PSAC, rather, uh, urging them to take a hard line. Um, so, Chris, just give me a sense of uh, who's going to be uh, how, how we're going to be affected by this strike. I mean, if we're waiting for a passport, maybe that might delay be delayed. If we're waiting for a tax refund, that might be delayed. How else might be we affect will will be affected? Uh, there'll be issues with like anything to do with immigration, including passports. Um, you're also going to have um, luckily uh, some of the stuff with the CRA is is automated. So, for example, let's say you get the uh, child uh, benefit. Uh, which actually comes out on the 20th every month, that's automated. So you will still get your child benefit, uh, which is actually tomorrow. Um, If you file your taxes electronically, um, your refund comes to you automatically, uh, unless for some reason your your taxes get flagged for some reason. Uh, But most people will get their refund. Uh, So they're not moving the uh, date of uh, having to file by the end of the month. Uh, because uh, most people file electronically. If you file by paper, it just means that you won't, they won't get to your taxes until they're back from being um, on strike. Uh, and actually, one interesting thing that's uh, a sticking point is they want to still be able to work from home. Mm-hmm. However, the union is requiring them to stand in front of the buildings they're supposed to be working in to pick it. Um, so they'll stand is, in front of their house, I guess. It's well, no, they like they're actually in front of the government buildings they're supposed to be working in that they uh, are refusing to go back to, and they're still working from home. Which is, in my, I mean, to me, that's so hilarious that the union requires them to go to the building, but they're saying they shouldn't have to go to the building when they actually work for the government. Right? It's it's hypocrisy at its highest level. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, I have a former uh, friend. Uh, well, he's a former colleague of mine in radio that now hosts a morning show up in Ottawa. And I we listen to him from time to time. He's a good broadcaster. And he was saying that it's kind of a the worst kept secret up in Ottawa. Everybody knows somebody or has a family member that's in the PSAC union. Mm-hmm. And it's it's understood that many, many, many of them have a side hustle. Uh, you know, they, they've got an extra source of revenue on the side and that this is maybe why they want to work from home so that they can continue with their side hustle. Have you heard anything about that? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. 
Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Well, not specific cases. However, I have heard over the years, um, similar to other professions, uh, there are also government, uh, that uh, people have the time to have a second job, so to speak. Um, and actually, I, I think I know who you're talking about in Ottawa, mm-hmm. um, fan of his as well, um, for decades. Um, and it it would not surprise me if many of them do. I mean, putting in the don't work past 4 p.m., uh, thing could very well simply be because a lot of them have something else they want to do in the evening, whether it's, you know, maybe they're realtors on the side. There's plenty of different side hustles you can have uh, that don't require you to work full time, but you can still make pretty good money at it. Um, so that wouldn't surprise me. Um, plus, uh, we also there was a, a study that came out last year um, that found that government workers on government time were actually doing other work that wasn't for the government. Um, and that was a government study. Uh, I can't remember who did it, but um, they found that uh, government workers were not uh, working for the government 100 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're also in some ways, they're also resisting um, having software on their computer to confirm that they're working. Um, now, this is not something I have heard with regards to the negotiations they're in right now. But there's I mean, there's all kinds of little things that they are uh, uh, debating uh, on who, where what concessions will be made. Um, but if if you're not willing to have software on your computer that can see what you are doing on your computer, um, I, I, to me, that's a red flag that says you're probably either surfing the web on Facebook or you're doing something else when you're supposed to be doing your government job. Right. Um, exactly. Which is we sh- if we're paying you, you should be doing that for the time period we're paying you. If you want to go out and work somewhere else uh, from six to nine o'clock and go stand in a store and sell clothes or something, you're, that's fine. You can do that. Just don't do it on government <laughs> on the taxpayer's dime. Do you think the treasury board is going to take a hard line? Are they going to, are they going to hold the line here and uh, save the taxpayers $9.3 billion? No, I, I think they'll cave. They have to because um, the NDP has come out in support of the strike and the liberals can't afford to lose NDP support. So I, if I were to guess, I'm going to say they're probably going to end up somewhere around a 15 percent raise hmm. uh, over three years. I guess it's hard for Trudeau to uh, tell PSAC that we don't have the money uh, to pay you when he's flying off to Jamaica uh, and staying in $9,000 a night villas. <laughs> a good look. The optics are not good here. Yeah. Or that uh, nice expensive uh, hotel room he had for the Queen's funeral. Exactly. Um, yeah. It, it's And the other thing, too, is the Liberals just put a, a budget, half a trillion dollar budget out there. Um, and it doesn't look like they're controlling spending Anyways, um, so for them, what's another nine billion um, at this point? Uh, you know, it's a rounding error almost uh, with their with the budget for the coming year. Coming that year. is the sad truth. A rounding yeah. error of nine billion. That's the sad truth. Christopher Oldcorn is a Saskatchewan reporter for the Western Standard and Saskatchewan Standard Western Standard dot news Western Standard dot news support independent media. Christopher, thank you so much. Have a great rest of the week. 
You too, Richard. Thank you very much. All right. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. Get it said when the Richard Serrett Show returns right here on Saga 960. You're listening to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600, just uh, ahead of Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com, and we'll push back against the cult of climate change coming up here in a few minutes. Uh, first, let's say hello to, I think it's Dave in Toronto. Dave, welcome to the Richard Serrett Show. Hey, Richard. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Thank you. are doing a great job. Thank you. Yeah, here's my uh, view on these uh, government workers is, if my memory serves me correctly, back in the early 80s, the air traffic controllers in the U.S. tried to pull the same kind of nonsense. And Mr. Ronald Reagan, the president at the time, just fired them all. And that's what I think you should, that's what I think uh, Mr. Trudeau, I know he doesn't have the balls for it, but I think that's what should happen. I heard some nonsense about uh, they want to uh, compare themselves to the private sector. Well, if they want to, if they want to go to the private sector, then go to the private sector and see what see what they get in the private sector. They're getting even close to what they're getting as government employees. So that's my two cents. Fire them all. Ah, uh, yeah. If only. If only. Um, now I don't know to what extent that's even possible. Unfortunately, um, because we're probably talking about some, you know, middle management types and so forth. I don't know if they have that ability. The federal, the Treasury Board, I guess, would be the main, the main employer uh, of most of the core groups within PSAC. I do. I honestly don't know whether they could. Well, I, I, I imagine there's union nonsense involved, yeah. but. Any employer in Canada can fire can fire any employee. It's just a matter of how much it's going to cost, and uh, it's going to cost a lot of money anyway. Just fire them if they're on strike. I, I say stay on strike forever. We're probably saving uh, you know uh, ten million dollars a day or a hundred million dollars a day, whatever we're paying them, and they can just stay on strike forever. If they don't get fired, just stay on strike forever. That's that's my two cents, Richard. Oh, I appreciate the call, Dave. Yeah, if, if, I mean, if it weren't for the passport situation, um, I don't know. You know, we have, we need um, one of my family members needs to get a passport renewed. Um, other than that, I don't know that I'm going to be impacted. I don't know how the rest of you feel. Uh, Christopher Oldcorn just indicated that uh, the. Revenue, Canada revenue is pretty well on autopilot. Those are, uh, if you're getting a refund, those will be issued automatically. Um, other than that, are we really even going to notice that they're gone? They're on strike? Probably not. Probably not. Listen, I want everybody to be able to make a, a living wage. Um, and there are, you know, there are janitors that are working and that are in PSAC and Maybe they need to get a little bit, bit of a, a, a bump, a boost, but 47% over three years, that's just not realistic. Not realistic, particularly after the federal government has told our fine veterans that we can't afford to give them what they need. 
Uh, let's say hello to, uh, who do we have here? It's our good friend from Pickering. It's Bill, who's, re- who's uh, recovering, I believe. Is it knee surgery, Bill? Hey, eight-week anniversary today. There you go. Are you getting ready for and, that? Uh, I'm, up doing, I'm up doing my domestics. I'm back working in the kitchen. I mean, there's, a, there's some minimal pain, but yeah, eight weeks ago today. So. Excellent. All right. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, no, the Leafs, it's 16 wins. That's all it takes. That's all we need is 16 wins. Oh, for the uh, for Lord Stanley's uh, cup here. Yes. Yeah, yeah, 16 wins. Is, is that all 16 wins? That seems like almost so achievable. Yeah. Four losses in a row is not good, though. <laughs> and the other thing I was you've been pretty easy on Justin Trudeau in your description. Like, you're just calling them socks now. You used to be a little more aggressive with the black face and the crime minister. Is, is, is there a reason why you stopped doing that? I just got bored of it. I got bored of it. Try, you know, time for a new nickname. And now I'm now I'm getting tired of socks and the trust fund brat. Um, but um, I don't know. I'll think of a new nickname. Yeah, OK, fair enough, pal. Anyways, all right. uh all the best. Thanks, thanks for remembering me and sending me the cards. That's great. <laughs> All right. There you go. Bill from Pickering, okay. covering from knee surgery. Appreciate it, Bill. All right. When we come back, we will get to Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com, as we push back against the cult of climate change. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. The Cult of Climate Change on The Richard Serrett Show. All right, welcome back. Much to discuss with Tony Heller this week. The uh, real reason NASA claims Arctic sea ice satellite satellite, uh, observations started back in 1979. We'll also get to uh, Germany switching off the last of its nuclear-powered energy plants. And rapidly forming El Nino is predicted to boost global warming. Tony Heller is the founder of RealClimateScience.com. Tony, how are you? I'm good, Richard. How about you? Very well, thank you. Uh, Let's start with uh, NASA. Uh, We've talked a lot about um arctic sea ice and of course all of the failed predictions from people like al gore that uh the arctic would be ice free he's he's repeated this prediction i think the last one he said was 75% chance it would be ice free by 2016 of course uh that didn't happen there's no indication it's going to happen but you kind of uh, went back and looked at uh, nasa and uh, their data, and they started making these uh, sort of tracking um, Arctic sea ice using satellite imagery starting back in 1979. Why the date 1979? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. 
Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Well, if you look at um, the 1990 and 1995 reports of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reports, they showed satellite CIS data going back to the early 1970s. And at that time, it was much lower. It was very low around that time. And 1979 was the peak year. So um, by starting at the peak year, they can make it look like there's been this sort of linear decline in sea ice, which they blame on the burning of fossil fuels. But if you look at the whole satellite sea ice record, you can see that it's actually cyclical, that it was low in the early 1970s, raised, increased up to 1979, which may have been the peak for the last century. And then it declined from 1979 until about 2007. And since 2007, it's been steady. So at some point, um, climate scam cultists like NASA decided to just hide all the data before 1979, and they started claiming that there wasn't any satellite data before then. Um, so the whole thing's it's just a big fake like they're normally doing. They just they took the one leg of a cyclical wave um, <clears throat> and then drew a straight line through it from there and through the current time and ignored the fact, also ignored the fact that there's been no loss of Arctic sea ice over the last 17 years. So it, it's, it's a massive lie and they're trying to keep it going for as long as they can. So it's always important to question why data starts at a specific date. Why did they choose 1979? Or if we're talking about forest fires, for example, and the claim that global warming is causing forest fires to increase and they they show you this data, but they have a, a particular start date. And I don't know what that start date would be, uh, but typically they refer to a specific start date. You have to ask, why are they starting here? Yeah, it's, it's always going to be at a minimum or a maximum, depending on what scam they're trying to pull. But what's particularly disturbing about the CIS data is they're actually claiming that they don't have satellite data prior to 1979, which is not true. Um, and in 1977, National Geographic published some very detailed, detailed Arctic sea ice data and, and Antarctic sea ice data from satellites, um, imagery. Um, in the mid-1960s, National Geographic published <clears throat> Arctic satellite sea ice images. You know, we went to the moon in 1969, but NASA's trying to claim that we don't have pictures of the Arctic from before 1979. It's a total scam, and it's amazing how bold they've become at pushing these sort of lies because they know the press will never call them out on it. But you will, Tony, and we're glad to have you. Um, Germany uh, this week switched off the last two of its remaining nuclear energy plants um, 
obviously, you know, they're they're caving to the uh, the Greta Thunbergs and the radical environmentalists and so forth. Um, what are your thoughts? What's what's Germany looking at now? Where, what are they going to do without uh, nuclear energy? Well, Germany is obviously in a lot of trouble. They, uh, you know, the Biden administration blew up their gas pipeline um, a few months ago, <laughs> uh, the Nord Stream pipeline. And now they're shutting down their nuclear and they claim that they're switching to renewables like wind and solar, which they can't rely on. Um, you, you only, you know, Germany only has gets a significant amount of solar energy, maybe 30% of the year, and wind's not reliable. So what they're doing is they're destroying all their reliable sources of of electricity coming from um, nuclear and and from gas, from fossil fuels, and pretending they're going to replace it with inherently unreliable sources of energy like wind and solar. Their government is completely insane. Um, but aren't they, in fact, now importing tons and tons and tons of uh, coal from South Africa? Yeah, they're importing all kinds of fossil fuels. So, you know, with, with Germany, like many other countries like Canada and the United States, what the government's doing makes absolutely makes no sense, which can only lead you to the conclusion that they have some other agenda, be, which does not coincide with the welfare of their the well-being of their people. All right. So last order of business, and that has to do with El Nino, which is this, uh, I guess, warmer than average water temperatures that develop in the Pacific Ocean, this current um, that that brings with it, I guess, uh, warmer weather. It lasts anywhere between nine months to two years. And we're being told that El Nino is uh, rapidly uh, developing and uh, it's going to lead to uh, it's going to boost global warming. How much of um, warmer temperatures are can be attributed to this this cyclical thing called El Nino? Well, quite a bit. Um, 1998, there was a big El Nino and that produced a, a large spike in temperatures, which was, of course, blamed on global warming at the time and then it disappeared on the last three years we've been in the opposite pattern la nina and so the, their complaint at that time was that la nina causes drought in california but this past winter was one of the wettest winters on record despite the la nina and now they'll be just pretending they didn't they didn't mispredict that and now they're just going to start with some new fake predictions about what el nino is going to do so our 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 climate is 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 affected more by El Nino and El Nina than it is by any CO two developments in the atmosphere. I I don't think CO two has any measurable impact on the climate. Certainly, oceanic circulation patterns do. One thing we're very likely to see though with the El Nino is that. Australia will probably, after three extremely wet years in Australia, they're probably going to dry up. And then, of course, they'll blame that on carbon dioxide. <laughs> of course, of course. Tony Heller, the founder of RealClimateScience.com. Uh, Tony, uh, thank you so much for everything that you do. And um, uh, I know you suffered a, a, a personal loss uh, last week. And I uh, just want to know that our hearts uh, go out to you and uh, our condolences. 
Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. All right, Tony Heller. When we come back, hour two, we will speak with the author of a book called In Defense of Capitalism. And also, of course, don't forget this week or this day in rock history with Jeremiah Tittle will be here. All that coming up in mere moments right here on The Richard Serrett Show, Saga 960. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this gun with through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Strap yourself in. Get ready. Hour two of the Richard Serrett Show coming your way. If you missed hour one, you missed a lot. But don't beat yourself up. Still plenty of great programming coming your way, including the last order of business. Jeremiah Tittle will be here. He's co-host of a terrific podcast called The 500. And we'll take a look at this day in rock history to lighten things up. On the Wednesday edition of The Richard Serrett Show, we'll talk about uh, Blondie scoring their second Billboard number one hit on this date back in 1980. And uh, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel uh, reuniting uh, for a European tour um, on this date back in 1982. This coming after after the uh, huge success of their New York Central Park concert the year before. Uh, But the reunion didn't last long, as we'll find out. Uh, also, we've carved out a little bit of time as well this hour for you to call in at 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600 uh, to uh, just think of this program as your confessional. Uh, if you want to unburden yourself or uh, we can discuss just about anything you'd like. Uh, I don't swap feel recipes, but, you know, if it's something profound, something important, something newsworthy, uh, would love to hear from you again, 289-275-9600. That's coming up a little bit later this hour. I mentioned earlier. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. 
call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Our uh, Chief Public Health Officer of Canada, Dr. Theresa Tam, who I'm quite certain won her medical degree in a raffle, uh, has listed climate change, colonialism, racism, and capitalism as quote-unquote systemic drivers of negative health. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Capitalism as a systemic driver of negative health. My word. Bless her heart. So it's uh, quite timely, actually, um, that she would, this nonsense would fall out of her mouth because uh, my next guest has uh, just recently written a book in defense of capitalism. Dr. Rainier Ziedelman is an author, German historian, sociologist, management consultant, and real estate expert. And uh, Dr. Ziedelman joins us now. How are you, sir? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This is absolutely nonsense. Capitalism as a driver for bad health. <laughs> right. When, you know, when obviously it's a pretty easy argument to make that uh, free market capitalism uh, is a driver for most health improvements, uh, for the extension of human life without capitalism. Uh, let's face it. You know, you look at the old Soviet Union. Uh, they could build tanks, but they couldn't build heart monitors and diagnostic equipment. That's capitalism at work, right? Yes, and uh, you have to know, 200 years ago, before capitalism, 90% of the worldwide population lived in extreme poverty, 90%. Today, it's less than 10%. So this is one fact. And if we if you speak about the environment, the environment was so bad in socialist countries as Soviet Union or also East Germany. Uh, in capitalism, it's much, much better uh, environmental standards. So this is absolutely nonsense. But there are people who blame capitalism for everything that's bad in the world. Maybe it's it's I, I call it a religion. This anti-capitalism is a religion. And that devil is the capitalism. Yeah, we, we used to expect um you know, when 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 our children would come home from university during Christmas break and their their vulnerable minds were filled with nonsense from these Marxist Leninist sociology professors and they would come home for Thanksgiving dinner and start spouting nonsense, you know, about how the evils of capitalism, you know, meanwhile, mom and dad are sitting there trying to enjoy their dinner and they're they're footing the bill thanks to their, you know, thanks to capitalism, they're putting their kid through school. Uh, but now this this nonsense has has seeped into the mainstream and, and even our, you know, elected officials are, are spouting this nonsense. How did this happen in, in the West? How did communism, uh, and socialism become so popular? And why, why has capitalism, um, been cast in this, in this ridiculous light? A lot of good questions. So first, because people forget. In the beginning of the 90s and of the 80s, everyone saw that socialism does not work. There were 100 years of socialism with 25 experiments, and they failed without any exception. This was 30 years ago when everyone knew it. Today, especially young people, they can 
they they have not this experience if they hear it only at school or university, but they don't hear anything about the evils of socialism. They hear only about the evils of capitalism. I'll give you one example for this. In the end of the 50s, there was the biggest socialist experiment in history, Mao's Great Leap Forward in China. 45 million people died. 45 million died. And I have lectures about this topic all over the world, in Asia, Latin America, Europe, and the United States. And wherever I speak, and whether it's to 20 people, 200 or 2,000, and I ask, who have heard about this biggest socialist experiment at school? Almost no one has heard about it at school. This is one of the biggest problems. This is the reason why I'm writing my books about capitalism and socialism. I'm a historian and sociologist, and I think people should know more about history. Dr. Rainier Ziedelman is the author of In Defense of Capitalism, Debunking the Myths. Um, I, I think part of the blame is we have not done a good job at teaching uh, or explaining the virtues of capitalism to younger people, aside from um, the way that it usually is, uh, the virtues are extolled are in terms of material gains, like, well, look at that iPhone that you're carrying around. That's made possible by capitalism, which is true. But I think actually, maybe to their credit, younger people are becoming less materialistic. Uh, and so they don't see a lot of the, these advantages as necessarily a plus. Um, how do we, what's a better way to sell capitalism to the younger generation? I agree. Absolutely. No, we should learn something from socialists, from anti-capitalists, because they are much better in marketing and PR than uh, we are. I remember one thing a couple of weeks ago, I, I've been in Greece to promote my book. It's published in the early languages, also in Greece language. And there was a big demonstration, protesters in front of the parliament. And I saw it from my hotel balcon. And I couldn't understand because I don't speak Greece, but they had a lot of beautiful songs there. I heard it, very heartbreaking songs. And then I was there with my girlfriend and I said to her, look, this is the problem. We have the facts they have their songs. They have their emotions. This is uh, this is one of the problems. Why isn't there someone in the United States as Michael Moore, for example, pro-capitalism? Um, in my book, you find all the facts that are necessary to win every discussion with anti-capitalists. But of course, I know that facts are one thing, but a lot of people are driven by emotion. And this is one and another thing. We should talk more about poverty because a lot of people, they think, yes, capitalism is good for rich people, for wealthy people. I believe capitalism is much more important for people who lived in poverty because this is the great thing that capitalism did to help so many billions of people all over the world to escape poverty. I, I will give you one, one example. Maybe it comes to surprise I I choose now Vietnam as an example. They call themselves socialists with the Communist Party. But I've been there, and I can guarantee you it's easier to find a Marxist at university in the United States than in Vietnam. They invited me to workshop at one of the leading universities in Vietnam. How can we improve the image of rich people? 
can you imagine such a workshop at American University? So because they had this experience with socialism. First, there was this war in Vietnam, and then they had the planned economy. And what was not destroyed by the war was destroyed by planned economy. And Vietnam was the poorest country in the world in the 90s, poorer than African countries. People lived in extreme poverty. And then they were, they are smart people. They introduced private property, made some pro-market reforms. Of course, it's not a pure capitalist country today, but, but even if you give, add some capitalism as they did, it improved situation of people dramatically. So many people came out of poverty. And so these people know that planned economy does not work. Problem for countries as the United States, <laughs> probably, of course, it's good. You never had a planned economy in your history. This is the first time now the United States changed more and more from a capitalist country to a country with a planned economy. I, I give you one fact. Uh, every year, there's the index of economic freedom from the Heritage Foundation. It's a ranking uh, and analysis how economically free are countries all over the world. At the top, you find countries like Switzerland or Singapore. At the bottom, North Korea, uh, Venezuela or Cuba. And United States this year have the worst ranking than since they started in 1995. And now it will be a surprise for you. 16 European countries are more capitalist according to this ranking than the United States. 16 European countries. And that doesn't mean that we are economically free in Europe. Uh, no, on the contrary, we go also this wrong way in the direction of a planned economy. But isn't this a shocking fact that the United States have the worst ranking ever and even 16 European countries, according to this index, are more economically free? Right, right. Uh, I mean, people often... The, the socialists here in uh, Canada, the United States, they like to point to Scandinavian countries as the model of socialism, but they're not socialist countries. Sweden, yes, they did. They did um, kind of uh, experiment with socialism, I think, for a, for a couple of years and maybe in the mid 80s. And then they rejected it. It was a disaster. They are a very f a free market country. Yes, they have a generous welfare system, but they're not a socialist country. Neither is Denmark or Finland or any of these countries. Uh, nice try, socialists. You can't use Scandinavia as your example. Um, Dr. Ziedelman, we'll take a quick time. I'll come back and, and discuss further. We'll, uh, we'll be right back in a few minutes. Just take a quick time out in defense of capitalism. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. And we are back with Dr. Rainier Ziedelman, German historian, sociologist, management consultant, real estate expert, sought-after speaker, and the author of In Defense of Capitalism, Debunking uh, the Myths. And just before the break, uh, Dr. Ziedelman, I was, um, we were talking about uh, comparing socialist systems to capitalist systems, and I mentioned Scandinavia, and I think you wanted to jump in with a point before I had to cut you off. Go ahead. Absolutely. This was very important for what you said about Sweden, because a lot of people don't know. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, these American socialists, for example, Bernie Sanders, they mentioned always Sweden as a role model for their socialism. But it's only it proves that they know nothing about history. It's exactly as you uh, said it. In the 70s, Sweden 
was a kind of what you call democratic socialism. For example, they had taxes, so incredible high taxes. Um, I give you a, a funny example. Um, there, there, there was this famous author of books for children, Astrid Lindgren. She's very, I don't know whether she's popular in uh, Canada, but she's very popular in Europe. And one day, she was more left-leaning, social democrat, but one day she saw how, how, many, how much taxes she had to pay. And she summed up, what do you think, how high was the tax rate that she had to pay? What do you, please guess? 80%. No, it was 102%. 102%. (laughs) And then the finance minister of Sweden said, no, she calculated wrong. It's wrong. In the end, even the prime minister had to admit, yes, it's correct. And she was right. She wrote a big article in one of the leading Swedish newspapers. This was one of the reasons that they saw that these are smart people there in Sweden. They saw it's crazy. And for example, Entrepreneurs, they fled from Sweden. There, uh, there's, uh, I, I don't know whether you know this uh, furniture uh, company, IKEA. Oh, yes, very popular IKEA. here. And the founder, Kamprad, for example, he fled first to Denmark, but it wasn't better there for the rest of his life. He lived at the richest man in Switzerland. And so, but Swedish people, they um, abolished this kind of socialism. And yes, it's correct, they have high income taxes, but for example, in New York City, you have also high income taxes. But for example, they abolished wealth tax. They have no wealth tax. They have no inheritance tax. They have no gift tax. And in this ranking of economic freedom that I mentioned before, they are on rank number 10, while the United States is 25. So they are more capitalist today. And if people tell tell me we should be like Scandinavian countries, okay, first start to abolish wealth tax, inheritance tax, gift tax, and then you are a little bit more like Sweden. Exactly. Um, getting back to again, thinking you know from a young person's perspective and how they disparage capitalism, and I think maybe the mistake that that is made is they're looking at the what's happening in in the west right now which is kind of crony capitalism and maybe we can explain that uh as well but this is not free market capitalism um that 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 we're seeing the excesses uh are, are basically crony capitalism but let's talk about one of the things that the young people bring up not just young people people on the left and that is wealth disparity uh and and the idea that you've got you know the one percent of the one percent let's say controlling maybe 50, 60% of the wealth and, you know, the rest of uh, the rest of the um, people controlling very little of the wealth. How do you, how do we defend the wealth disparity? These are two different questions uh, you could care about. The first question we spoke about this before is poverty. The other question is inequality. You spoke now about inequality I don't care about inequality, to be uh, to be honest, because um, if poor people escape poverty and in the same time people are more unequal, I have no problem with this. I'll give you one example. I spoke about Vietnam before, but let's give you another example. This is China. In China, 1981, 
1981, 88% of the people lived in extreme poverty, 88%. Today, it's less than 1%. Why? Because they started pro-market reforms, more capitalism, and introduced private property. Of course, people in China are more unequal today. There are much, this time there was not a single billionaire today. There are so many billionaires in the, you know, in China as in the United States. People are much more unequal. But I was also there in China at different times. I, I found no one who told me, oh, please let's go back to the time of Mao Zedong because we were more equal at this time. And I think inequality is a topic for envious people. We should care more about poverty. This is the real problem. And if if people escape poverty and there are more billionaires, I have no problem with this. And we spoke about Sweden before. I give you another fact uh, that surprises a lot of people. In Sweden, the percentage of billionaires adjusted to populate to the population is 60% higher than the higher than in the United States. 60% more billionaires, of course, adjusted to the population. And so it's not bad there for, uh, for, the, for the people. Because if you have a lot of wealthy people and if people escape poverty, it has the same reason. It's economic growth. Economic growth is the reason. And if economic growth happens, then you have two things at the same time. People escape poverty and there are more wealthy people. I agree with you. Uh, I think it was Margaret Thatcher who said uh, you can either have uh, unequal wealth or you can have equal poverty. And uh, we would uh, I would agree we would prefer unequal wealth. You look at the the poorest people in the United States today are far more comfortable than John D. Rockefeller was back in 1900. They've got a fridge. They've got a TV. They've got a phone. They've got heat. Uh, All right. Let's central air. We'll come back and uh, continue. A few minutes remain with Dr. Rainier Zeidelman, or Zeidelman, my apologies, Dr. Rainier Zeidelman, the author of In Defense of Capitalism, Debunking the Myths, available at Amazon. Back with more in a moment. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Uh, Coming up next segment... We'll uh, open up the phone lines for a brief spell, uh, 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. Right now, uh, we continue on. A few minutes remain with Dr. Rainier Ziedelman, author of In Defense of Capitalism, Debunking the Myths. Uh, the other um, thing that comes up a lot with uh, or from critics of capitalism is that it uh, it creates these huge dominant monopolies and then therefore undermines democracy. How do we defend that? Yes, uh, first of all, it's uh, true. Capitalism can lead to monopolies. But what's much more important, capitalism destroys monopolies. So I give you some examples. In 2007, I have some fun examples in my book. There was a headline in the UK newspaper Guardian, Will MySpace Ever Lose Its Monopoly? was the headline. <laughs> if I have lectures today, young people, they don't know what MySpace is. And the same year, there was the front cover of Forbes magazine, Nokia, Who Can Ever Catch the Cell Phone King? Who uses a Nokia telephone today? And I don't know how is it in Canada, in the United States, you, you use the word uh, Xeroxing for to making a photocopy. 
Why? Because they had 95% market share. Today, it's less than 2%. Or Kodak or cameras, they had 85% market share. So what I mean, monopolies, they look very powerful at the height of their power. They look very powerful. You think they will last forever, as today maybe for, for as Google or Amazon or, or whatever. But it's not true. In capitalism, there's always competition. And capitalism is the only way, the best way to fight against monopolies. The only... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Monopoly that is really harmful and hard to get rid of is socialism, is the state monopoly. And this is something that I don't understand when you discuss with anti-capitalists. In one minute, they tell, oh, there are these monopolies, this is so bad. Half hour later, you discuss, oh, we should nationalize some banks and so. Then they are pro-state monopolies. So if you are against monopolies, you should be pro-capitalism because capitalism means Competition means innovation, and there are a lot of examples. 100 years ago, uh, Lenin wrote uh, his uh, famous book about imperialism as the last stage of capitalism, monopoly capitalism. And all these monopolies that he mentioned in this book, some decades later, none of them existed any, anymore. So capitalism is the best. Some, sometimes you have monopolies, and they are not always bad. Sometimes they even have uh, economically f- uh, function for innovation. But uh, sooner or later, they are destroyed if you let capitalism do its job. Um, just have about a minute uh, remaining, Dr. Ziedelman. I just I want to get your, your a quick thought or two on something now we're hearing about uh, that's that's part of, we, you know, coming from the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset called stakeholder capitalism, how they want to reorder uh, capitalism. What are your thoughts on so-called stakeholder capitalism? I don't know really what it what it means. Stakeholder, shareholder. It's a slogan against shareholder capitalism. But what means shareholder capitalism? Shareholder capitalism means that the company belongs to some people. These are the shareholders, the owners of the company. And of course, there are other groups that are important for a company. That but this is nothing new. Consumers they are uh, more important than the owners because. Democracy means, in the end, uh, because capitalism means, in the end, democracy. Consumer will decide whether someone gets rich or not. And this is everyday decision by all the consumers. So, of course, if you want to call consumers 
or stakeholder or whatever you can call them in this way, but this is nothing new. Every entrepreneur, whether he's small or huge, he knows the most important uh, group for him are his consumers because without consumers, his company is nothing. In defense of capitalism, debunking the myths available at Amazon and wherever good books are sold, Dr. Rainier Ziedelman. Thank you so much. I hope we can speak again. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Here's the book. There you go. Excellent. Until we uh, speak again. All right. When we come back, we'll open up the lines. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. Back with your calls on The Richard Serrett Show in three minutes. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk. Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. And let's see, who do we have here? No name, um, but I believe this person calling from Toronto. Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show. Hello. Oh, hi. Sorry. Uh, uh, it's Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Um, I, sorry about that. Um, I, that uh, I don't know if you're aware that in a lot of the apartment buildings around where I am, I'm sort of midtown, um, uh, they're, uh, trying to make life a little bit difficult for the tenants because if people have been here a long time, they're hoping they'll move out and get new people who will pay higher rent. And if they're not already paying utilities this way, they will be paying utilities and they're making it unpleasant in some of the apartments, uh, to the degree that a lot of people are starting to move. <laughs> so, that's just an issue for, especially if you've been somewhere for several years, uh, they're making it harder. Um, so this is a particular uh, cluster of apartment buildings that are owned by a uh, real estate company. They own the buildings. Um, they, they, need, um, they want to raise the rent, but they can't do that because of rent control, which is 2.5%. So you're saying they want to pressure the tenants to leave so that they can yeah. raise the rent. It's not just a cluster. As a matter of fact, a f- friend of mine is close to the airport, way o- away from where I am, and um, they're, they're doing some pretty nasty stuff to them. And uh, when, when you say nasty, Rachel, what 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 do you mean? They're, what are they doing to them? He said they're turning off the water um, every other day, um, and they change the locks without giving uh, much notice. They did it uh, for the next day. Uh, everybody in the whole apartment building had um, their locks changed. This is a lucrative area, and it's near a, a golf course. Wow. And, um, I don't know for sure, Rachel, but I would say both of those things are probably highly illegal. Um, now, having said that. Well, I'm sure. How do you prove it, though? Yeah, I mean, if uh, uh, they, you know, obviously they, this is something that they should be taking to the uh, – uh, I had a um, uh, tenant landlord lawyer on yesterday talking about um, landlord landlord rights, the opposite side, because I do think particularly yeah. when we're talking yeah. about people who own one rental property and, uh, you know, it's it, that's a source of an important source of income and it is their property. However, yeah, I certainly don't condone, you know, turning the water off and locking people out of their own out of their apartment. And again, I, I would say that that is illegal, but the, the situation that we have right now, I think is also untenable where if you own 
um, a high rise apartment building it, uh, and, and you can only increase your rent by 2.5%. Um, that's just not a tenable situation. The building is going to start to deteriorate and then nobody's going to want to live there. A good, a good friend of mine, uh, who used to be um, a regular on the program, Lou Skeezus, used to say there's two ways to destroy a city. One, you can bomb it from the air. And the second one is you can impose rent control. And so when you've got 2.5 percent as the limit that you can re- increase your rent every year. Uh, and meanwhile, you've got to put in a, uh, you know, a resurface, uh, an underground parking lot or put in a new boiler system. Uh, uh, you, you're going to go broke. You're going to go out of business and then, and then nobody will have any place to live. But this is how they're getting around it by getting people so upset that they just move. Yeah, and, that's uh, not right either. That's I, I don't condone that. You can't do that. You can't turn their. I hope that no. they fight it, and I hope they they you know they get a they group together, they get a lawyer, and they and they fight that. That's just you can't deny it's, it's people not, well, water. Some people may do that, but uh, I know where I am. They can't do that. They they're more elderly. Um, a lot. I mean, it's a senior apartment. Let's put it that way. I'm not elderly but um uh i am a senior and i i I wouldn't be able to move but um if they treated me the way they are my friend who's close to the airport in that as i say more lucrative area um i would be much more unhappy so it's it's not the same uh with each apartment building but there are a lot right where i am that uh everybody's really afraid of what's happening and there seems to be lots of break-ins no secure not good security i even have a friend of mine who kept insisting that um they're not breaking in but he now i find out that he's got a camera outside his apartment so um that, uh, when you have people coming in like that um you're not home there's just no kind of security for that Rachel, would you be able to put me in touch with any of the, the uh, and this would be strictly anonymous, I wouldn't, you know, but uh, I would like to dig further into this um, and and find out, you know, who owns these buildings and and see if we can't get some remedy uh, because this isn't right. Listen, I'm, I, I support uh, landlords as well, uh, particularly landlords that own a single property and are trying to, you know, maybe it's their, that's their retirement income and so forth. And then they run into some... You know, the other side of it is that they run into what we call from the professional tenants who, who game the system so that they can never be evicted. Sure. There's the other side, yeah. too, where you have unscrupulous landlords. Yes. Preying on. And I, I never want to see seniors uh, 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 mistreated or abused under any circumstances. And this is this sounds like this is serious. So if you could, I don't know, email me. Uh, and with any more information so that I can maybe do a little more digging and and maybe. Uh, I can find a, a, a lawyer who will represent some of these tenants pro bono or something. Well, that would be great. Um, uh, I'm not a great emailer. I'm, I'm a Luddite, but um, <laughs> I'll try to do it. All right. You and me so, both. I'm a Luddite, too. <laughs> Give oh, me my 70, 78 records and my. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, if you can, Rachel, or, or maybe get uh, a family member or a friend uh, to, uh, to to send me an email. And they can do that through okay. my website, therichardserratshow.com, therichardserratshow.com. Okay. How do you spell your last name again? It always sounds different to me. <laughs> it's S as in Simon. Yeah. Y. Oh, Y. Okay. Yes, because I love you. R. <laughs> e is in Edward. T is in Tom. Okay. T is in Tom. S Y R E T T. The Richard Serrett Show. 
com, and there's a contact page. And uh, if you could get yourself or someone to, to send me some information so that I can uh, get to work on this. Okay. I, I appreciate that. Thank you for your call. Um, all right. Thank you. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. What a sweet woman. That bugs me. That bugs me. All right. Uh, when we come back, this day in rock history. Stay tuned for that. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. There you go, Blondie. Deborah Harry, never mind that she's a natural redhead. That's true. Uh, scored their second Billboard number one hit with this song, Call Me, on this date back in 1980. And here with more, Jeremiah Tittle, co-host of The 500 with Josh Adam Myers and founder and CEO of Next Chapter Podcasts as we discuss this day in rock history. Hey, JT, how are you, buddy? So good to be with you, Richard. Likewise, likewise. Um, I was not a huge fan of Blondie. Um, I was, you know, early 80s, kind of new wave. That was the thing. And I was I was heavily steeped in, uh, I guess we called them the four D's, the dead, Dylan, the doors. Maybe it was the three D's anyway. <laughs> but, you know, now kind of looking back with nostalgia and um, I, I have a new appreciation for that music. What are your thoughts about uh, Blondie and Call Me? Um, their second Billboard number one hit. Yeah, number one for six consecutive weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. I mean, this was such a huge song. Produced and composed by Italian musician Giorgio Moroder, I should note. Um, and just a, a juggernaut. Uh, didn't hurt, obviously, that it was um, the... What was it for uh, Richard Gere's movie, American Gigolo? It was featured on there. It was like the theme song, more or less, of that movie. Um, you know, all that played in the favor. Track was also number one in the UK. I see number three in Canada, if I'm reading this correctly. So huge, huge song. And uh, yeah, you know, disco transitioning to the 80s. Um, Debbie Harry in an interview was talking about how no one sounds like Blondie. Uh, a little hubris in there, but you know, I think they were, they were making moves and and make doing damage in the music industry at that time. For sure. And she's now into her seventies and still out there performing and looking great and, and sounding great. Uh, yeah, they, uh, disco, a little bit of new wave, also a little bit of reggae with the tide is high. Uh, I don't know if that came out on this with the same, was that the, was that, that on the, uh, the big album of the hunter as well? That, I'm not sure if that came out the same year or not. Yeah, not sure. Tide is high. Um, what now? I had uh, I had heard, and I don't know if this is true, but that song "Call Me" was originally recorded uh, with Stevie Nicks in mind, having uh, to record it. That's amazing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of folklore around this particular song. Uh, one factoid I found is that in the U.S., this song was released by three 
record companies. <laughs> like, what other song do you know about three record companies getting behind it? I mean, one of them is uh, a Spanish language uh, version that came out uh, from Blondie's uh, label Chrysalis. Um, but there's just so much to unpack. I'm sure not enough time for, for us to go all the way through it. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's just an international hit from every different way you look at it and a new life uh, making appearances in HBO's show Westworld, for example, the uh-huh. song was included. So there's just it, I'd say standing the test of time is an easy way to describe this song. All right. There you go. And it was also on this date in 1982 that Paul Simon and our Garfunkel reunited for a European tour after the massive success of their New York Central Park concert the year before. How did that tour go? Horribly, Uh, (laughs) unless unless you're really into the history of uh, music feuds, because. Man, it's juicy. I mean, these two guys who started together, right, uh, so long ago, um, end up, you know, uh, at each other's throats. They had this whole U.S. tour planned. That never happened uh, because, you know, when you can't get along with each other on the road, I mean, that's always a test of a relationship, right? If you can travel together, then you could probably make it, right? In this case, they just could not travel together. That's for sure. They made beautiful music, but could not get on the road together. Yeah, so unfortunate. I guess I had to cancel. So they they stumbled through the European tour and then they 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 had a U.S. tour planned and then they canceled that. Um, and then there was a there was a solo album in that came out, I think, the, the next year um, that was supposed to be a reunion album. And there's kind of an interesting backstory behind that, um, where Paul Simon, I guess he was so furious uh, with um Art Garfunkel, and they had recorded this album together. It was um, Hearts and Bones, and yeah. and um, uh, it was October also be, that's right. It was it was supposed to be the Simon and Garfunkel reunion album. And after Garfunkel was so mad, or sorry, Simon Paul Simon was so mad at Art Garfunkel, he went in and he deleted all of Art Garfunkel's vocal tracks, and it was released as a as, as a Paul Simon solo album. So unfortunate. Why can't but these two get along? Yeah, such a dirty business, too. But when when you see a pair like this who've had so much success together, performing on Saturday Night Live together, um, you mentioned the Central Park uh, shows that were so uh, that concert that was so successful that led to the European tour. But, yeah, Hearts and Bones, uh, you know, having uh, art electronically removed uh, in name and and voice, etc. And then, of course, following Hearts and Bones, Simon experimented with songwriting styles and the South African music that he was uh, so curious about, which resulted in Graceland, that was August 86, became his best-selling solo album and won him another album of the year, Grammy. Um, definitely seems like Paul Simon 
uh, had a lot more success than art, but they were both in all these movies and had all these uh, million album selling, you know, solo records in addition to their duo career. Right. Yeah. And knew each other since they were like, what, seven, eight years old when they were Tom and Jerry. It's it's unfortunate, but uh, that's the music business, I guess. Um, incidentally, you mentioned Graceland. Is that one of the, the top 500 albums of all time? It absolutely is. Um, and the timing of us having this conversation is perfect as it relates to the 500. You always give me a chance to plug it, which I mm -hmm. appreciate. But uh, today we have Paul Simon's debut solo album, which is simply titled Paul Simon um, and uh, talked to a comedian, Steve uh, Fury, about it. And uh, just such rich uh, stories about, you know, kind of their folk roots and, and the battle between these two guys. And, and then, yeah, their respective solo careers, uh, a very successful one kicked off by Paul Simon's album, which uh, we have on the 500 today. Fantastic. The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Again, this podcast, great concept. It, it uh, counts down the top 500 greatest albums of all time, according to Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, you bring on comedians and musicians and actors to talk about what that particular album uh, meant to them. And how do we listen to the 500? Go to any podcast app and type in search the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Fantastic. Jeremiah, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the week. You do the same. Thanks, Richard. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing. I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.